You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. that brings us to salvation. It's the word of God that convicts men. It's the word of God that gives us instruction. It's the word of God that changes our lives when we apply it to our lives and allow it to do what it's supposed to do. Some of you probably already know where I'm going in the scriptures. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3:16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete. Have you ever tried to change something in your own strength? Whenever we try to act our way into better Christian behavior, we're doing religion. It's only through the Word of God and the Spirit working in us that we're changed. In today's message, Pastor Dave will be sharing the importance of the Word of God. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 17 as he continues his message, Jesus is the Christ. This was Paul's custom. He went into the synagogue first. Very interesting. He would later write to the Romans in Romans 1, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for in it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and then the Greeks. Paul had a tremendous heart for his brethren. Paul had a tremendous heart for Jews. After all, he himself was a Jew, born to the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day, a Pharisees of the Pharisees. According to the law, blameless. But Paul had this heart, this burden for his brethren that they would come to Christ. And this burden was so heavy on his heart. Listen to what Paul declares in Romans 9, verse 3. Listen to these words very carefully. I tell you truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness by the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I wish that I myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, and the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. Amen. Do you hear Paul's heart there? Do you hear Paul's heart for his fellow people, his countrymen, the Hebrews, the Israelites? What was he willing to do? He was willing to give up his salvation. Paul was willing to give up his salvation that they might come in. Would that I be accursed from Christ? That's what he says. Every one of us sitting in this room, I believe, has family members who don't know Christ. Some of us in this room have prodigals that have strayed from the faith and are breaking our hearts. We all want these family members to come to Christ, those that aren't saved. We all want the prodigals to return home to their faith. 
We all want that in the hardest way, and we pray for that continually. We want them to come to repentance and accept Christ as Lord and Savior once and for all and make it a done deal. But what are we willing to give up that they might have salvation? What are we willing to lay our lives down for? Are we willing to lay our lives down for them to come to salvation? It's a mighty question, isn't it? It's a big question. Paul said, I'm willing to be accursed so that my brethren would join eternal life. We've seen this sacrificial heart before. We're going to read about it when we get to Exodus 32. In Exodus 32, verse 32, Moses is having another discussion with God, and God's pretty upset at the Israelites. God is not happy with the Israelites, which it seems like most of the 40 years, God was not happy with the Israelites. And Moses is bartering again with God. Moses is talking to God, and he says this. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book which you have written. Wow. Moses declaring the same thing. If you can't take them, don't take me. Wow. Do you hear this heart? This is the kind of heart that we have to have for the lost. As this age closes, as this age of grace slowly closes in, and you look around, you read the newspaper, you see what's happening in Israel, you see what's happening in Iran, you see what's happening in Turkey and Syria and all those places, you see what's happening right here in our beloved United States of America. Those of us who have studied scriptures, and some of you have studied a lot more than I have, know that these are all signs that the Lord is not far behind. These are all signs of the end times. We have people who are dying and going to hell right before our eyes. What type of sacrificial heart do we have for them? Is it enough to say, well, I'm saved? No. No. I think one of the reasons that we have that kind of heart because we really don't know how bad hell is. I don't think we really understand the alternative to these people not accepting Jesus Christ. What are you willing to do that they might come in? That's sacrificial love. That's the sacrificial love we celebrated today in communion that Jesus Christ did. Willing to give your life so that someone else could come into the kingdom. Wow. So Paul always goes to the synagogue first. What did he do there? He reasoned with those in attendance from the scriptures. See, as a guest... Paul would be recognized as a learned man. They would realize that he's, he's learned. He knows the Bible. And as a guest, the guests are sometimes invited to speak. Paul would get up, he would read from the scriptures, and then again he would turn and he would discuss them with them. The word reason in the Greek is this, dialegoami. I'd rather say where we get our word dialogue. A little easier. It means to say thoroughly. It means to discuss in an argument or exhortation. It means to dispute, and yes, it does mean to preach. But this is just more than speaking to them. It's just more than showing them. Paul did not speak to them. He reasoned with them with the Scriptures. He used the Word of God, something they were very familiar with. Because in the Sabbath day, when they came to the temple, the first thing that was done is the rabbi or whomever would open up the Torah 
And they would read the word of God. They would read it and then they would discuss it. So those in attendance were familiar with God's word. So Paul took to them what they were familiar with. Paul took to them the word of God and he spoke about it. Remember Paul's resume. He studied under the great Gamaliel. Paul knew the word of God. Paul was a very, very astute student. He was a powerful man. He had great knowledge and understanding. But he communicated to these Jews in a simple, palatable, clear way. He opened their eyes to something that was hidden, even to the prophets. He opened their eyes. He reasoned with them. Sometimes our Christianese confuses people. Sometimes when we stand before somebody and we witness to them, we start jar- shouting, oh, you must be, uh, you know, you got to accept Christ. You got to do that. You gotta, we, say, we say all this Christian jargon. And it confuses them. But if we would just speak clearly and simply. See, the gospel message is a simple message of hope, but it's a powerful message of salvation when you accompany it by the Holy Spirit. It's the power of God. I'm sure many of you have seen Billy Graham. I'm sure many of you heard Greg Laurie and other great evangelists who speak to thousands upon thousands of people at one time. They speak to all these people and then they make an invitation. And many, many, many people come down. Many people come down to accept the Lord. Did you ever listen to them? Did you ever think, oh, they're not really saying anything profound? No, they're not, because it's the gospel message. The gospel is simple. It is truth. It is just. It is right. There are no gimmicks involved. There's no smoke and mirrors. It's a simple message. It's clear, concise, but it's presented with power by the Holy Spirit. That makes all the difference. This is what Paul was doing. Paul was reasoning with them from God's word. What did he say? Well, look at verse 3a. He was explaining and demonstrating that Christ, the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. This is important. Paul was explaining and demonstrating that the, not only did Christ have to suffer, but he also rose from the dead. This presented a problem to the Jews. Many, 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 many of the Jews knew Isaiah 53 spoke of a suffering Messiah. But how do you reconcile Psalm 2? Psalm 2 speaks of a kingly Messiah. So you have a dichotomy here. You have two things happening. How do you reconcile that? The only way to reconcile that is have two messiahs. Two messiahs. One that would be the kingly messiah. His name would be Ben David and after King David. He would be the one, he would be the conquering messiah. He would defeat Israel from their enemies and he would establish his kingdom on earth. He was the ruling messiah of Psalm 2. And you would have a suffering messiah. His name would be Ben-Joseph, named after Joseph's sufferings in the book of Genesis. He was the Messiah of of Isaiah 53. He was the one that was brutally beaten by his brethren. Paul takes these scriptures, and through evidence, he says, listen, let me tell you some things. Let me tell you some things about the scriptures. Maybe he said something about Abraham and Isaac. Maybe he talked about Hosea's testimony. Maybe he went to Psalm 1610, for you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to seek corruption. Paul emphasized the resurrection. John R.W. Scott said this, quote, Christianity is in its very essence a resurrection religion. The concept of the resurrection lies at its heart. If you remove it, Christianity is destroyed, unquote. 
Paul reasoned with them day in the scriptures. He opened their eyes to the scriptures explaining how both these prophecies, Psalm 2, Psalm, Isaiah 53, pointed to one person. They all pointed to one man. He says this in verse 3, part B. And saying this, he says, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. John Corson, in his commentary, said this, the scriptures point to one person, Jesus, the son of Joseph. He was the suffering Messiah who was crucified on the cross. But after three days, he, the son of David, rose from the dead to rule and reign forever, the kingly Messiah. And he will return to set up his earthly kingdom. See, the key to opening scriptures is always to look for, always to talk about, and always to put the focus on the person, Jesus Christ. Using God's word is easy because the volume of the book speaks of Jesus Christ. Page after page after page of Old Testament speaks about the Lord Jesus Christ. It speaks clearly and concisely. Corson again speaks this. He says, whether you're sharing with children talking to a neighbor, or teaching a Bible study. The key to opening men's heart is to look not for the principles of parenting or the methods of marital communication, but look to Jesus. Our faith is not philosophy. It's not principles. It's a person. You will be a wonderful Bible student and an excellent Bible teacher if you learn this simple lesson. Talk Jesus. Look for Jesus. He is the key to opening scriptures, unquote. But Paul was pushing. He was pushing his listeners for a decision. He was giving them the inexcusable question, the unescapable one. He was pushing at them. He said, Jesus is the Christ. They had to decide just who Jesus was. Remember, it's personal. Who do you say Jesus is? They had to make a decision. And Paul showed great patience here. Great patient. Scripture says he spent three Sabbaths there. Many, 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 many scholars believe it was much more time than that. Much more time than that. There are scriptures that back that up. Much more time that he spent in Thessalonica than just three weeks. R. Kent Hughes makes this comment. Paul was particularly noble in the way that he treated the people with respect and dignity. He did not demand that they swallow what he simply said because he said it. No. Paul explained and demonstrated that Jesus is the Christ by using the word of God. Isn't this the same thing Jesus did to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus? He explained to them where he appeared in all of Scripture. It's the same type of Bible study. This is what Paul did. He used the word of God when we share our faith. We must give others room to think. We must give others room to believe. When the gospel is dialogue, when the gospel is open and placed before others, it will always stand on its own. The gospel stands on its own. God's word will never return void. We know that. What's the results of Paul's patience? Well, the results of his patience and the results of Paul being true to the word of God were a huge harvest. A huge harvest. Look what it says in verse 4. And some of them were persuaded a great multitude of devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. I love the Apostle Paul. When all these people came to Christ, I don't see the Apostle Paul strutting along going, yeah, I'm bad. 
Yeah, man, I'm bad. I preached the sermon. Look what happened. Woo, I'm bad. I'm bad. High five me. I'm bad. No. Paul knew it wasn't his eloquence. Paul knew it wasn't him. Paul knew it was the word of God empowered by the Holy Spirit spoken in truth. He knew where that happened from. John Corson sums it up this way. The word, the word, the word. That's what impacted those gathered in the synagogue that day. It's the word of God that changes our lives. That's why we at Calvary Chapel put so much emphasis on the teaching of the word of God. Because it's the word of God that brings us to salvation. It's the word of God that convicts men. It's the word of God that gives us instruction. It's the word of God that changes our lives when we apply it to our lives and allow it to do what it's supposed to do. Some of you probably already know where I'm going in the scriptures. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The word of God equips us. The word of God corrects us, instructs us, convicts us, and the word of God leads us into the arms of Jesus Christ. A person empowered by the Holy Spirit and equipped with the word of God is a powerful weapon against the enemy and can be used mightily by the Lord. Paul used the scriptures that day to reason with the men. He declared to them, he explained to them, he demonstrated that Jesus was and is the Christ. But it was God who revealed it to them by the Holy Spirit. And it was God who pricked their hearts. Just like Peter that day when he confessed to Jesus. His heart was opened by God and the Holy Spirit revealed it to them. And they accepted. So what happens when you give the study? What happens when you give the invitation? Sometimes the most embarrassing thing happens in the whole wide world. People don't believe. Sometimes you give an invitation and nobody comes forward. That happens. Look what happened in verse 5. We're not going to study it, but we're going to look at it. But the Jews who were not persuaded became envious. Unfortunately, everyone does not believe. There were Jews who did not believe, and they became envious, and this always leads to trouble. Let me give you a little bit of encouragement along with an exhortation and a warning. Anytime the Word of God is preached... Opposition usually follows in some form. Just what you wanted to hear, right? As we go back to our story this morning of Peter and his great confession that Jesus is the Christ, Son of the living God, after his Peter for confession, Jesus proclaimed that this, he proclaimed this to Peter. Upon that rock, Peter's confession of faith, Jesus would build his church. Now, it's just interesting to me. This is very interesting. Let me show this with you. In John 1, Jesus told Nathanael that he'd seen him under a fig tree. Nathanael responded, truly, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Jesus didn't declare, blessed are you, Nathanael. Upon that, I'm going to build my church. He didn't declare that. Luke 5, there was a miraculous catch of fish. And Peter turns around and he acknowledges Jesus' lordship. And he says, depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Please, at that point, Jesus didn't say, blessed are you, Peter, and upon that rock, I'm going to build my church. In John 6, after the feeding of the 5,000, Peter declares again, truly, you're the son of God. You alone have the words of life. Jesus didn't say, upon that rock, I'll build my church. 
Why does he say it now? Why did he say it at this time when Peter confesses it again? Because before, when they acknowledged his deity, they were acknowledged it based on emotions. They were acknowledged it based on what they had seen in a miracle. You saw me in a fig tree? You got to be the son of God. Look at all the fish. You got to be the son of God. You fed 5,000? You have to be the son of God. These are emotional responses to what had happened. Peter's statement in Matthew 16 is not an emotional response. His is a carefully thought through conclusion based upon a supernatural revelation by the Holy Spirit. And you may ask why that is important. Because many, many people will come and make professions of faith in times of emotional stress. They will make professionals of faith. And unfortunately, many of those professions don't stick. They don't seem to last because they're made on an emotional response. They tend to fade after weeks. But that isn't where Jesus builds his foundation. He's looking for a man or a woman who will come to a rational, intellectual conclusion based upon deep spiritual revelation. A deep spiritual revelation that happens in your heart. He's listening for those who say, I've concluded that you're a Christ. I've concluded that you're the Christ, not because I won the lottery. Not because you've healed me, but because you've revealed yourself to my heart spiritually and to my mind rationally. And I believe you're the Christ. That's when Jesus says, blessed are you. You're not talking about an emotional response. You made a declaration, a decision, and upon that, I will build my church. Upon that, this confession. True confession is not based on events or emotion. True confession takes place when a man or woman says, I've concluded that Jesus really is who he declared himself to be. He is the son of God, and I'm giving my life to him to follow him totally. Have you come to that conclusion today? Have you come to that conclusion rationally? No one is forcing you. Has the Holy Spirit quickened your heart and revealed that to you, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Have you made that confession of faith? Who do you say Jesus is? Maybe you're in a trilemma. Maybe you're still somewhere caught between, he's a lunatic. He's a liar. Could it be that the Holy Spirit this morning is revealing to your heart in a rational and intellectual way that Jesus Christ is exactly who he claimed to be? And if that is true, if the Holy Spirit is declaring to you today that Jesus Christ is exactly who he claimed to be, then he is not a lunatic. Then he is not a liar. That makes him Lord. Who do you say Jesus is? You are a You've been listening to Pastor Dave on A Sure Hope. Pastor Dave is working his way through the book of Acts. Did you know that the first martyr for Jesus was a great man of faith? His name was Stephen, and he was bold and courageous to proclaim the name of Jesus to others. He wasn't afraid to tell the truth, even when it cost him his life. What courage in the midst of opposition. 
Do you think you could do the same in this day and age? It's hard to stand up for Jesus when everyone around you is telling you you're intolerant, unloving, and just looking to put people down if you tell them they're doing something wrong. But what makes things right or wrong is firmly rooted in Scripture. It's God's Word that should direct morality, and Stephen was unafraid to go there. If you like this message and would like to catch up on any message you may have missed, head over to AsureHopeRadio.com. There you'll find many messages from the Book of Acts, as well as other series. If you find yourself in the Cape May, New Jersey area, stop in and see us. All the information you need is on our website, location, directions, and service times. And if you prefer to call, you can do that too. Our number is 609-884-5821. Once more, that's 609-884-5821. We'd be happy to answer any questions over the phone. Well, that's all we have time for today, but we've loved spending this time with you. We look forward to the next edition of A Sure Hope.